welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Everyone was full. The Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, New Living Translation. Hello. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay. We are in the middle of a series we call A Miraculous Christ. This is a very special series for us because we are featuring Jay Ammerman. Jay has had a life story that is truly an amazing illustration of God's grace and mercy. Jay was an Army combat medic and endured three deployments with frontline infantry units in Iraq. After his last deployment, Jay came home without any physical wounds. But unfortunately, he also returned from combat with an addiction to opiate painkillers. But our God is a God of deliverance. God completely delivered Jay from the opiate addiction over one Easter weekend. And we heard that astounding story on a previous episode of Anchored by Truth, which is available on our website, crystalseabooks.com. Jay's delivery that amazing weekend began a journey that ultimately led Jay to enter the New Orleans Baptist Theologic Seminary. Jay will shortly graduate and he very much wants to enter full-time service for the Lord. Jay's life road has included its share of bends and curves, but Jesus has been with him through it all. So let's welcome Jay Ammerman, the owner of Black Thumb Services, to Anchored by Truth. Jay, your story is remarkable, and your passion for Jesus and the gospel is truly inspirational. That's why we wanted everyone to hear your story. The Bible tells us that God does not differentiate among his children. God delivered you from a vicious addiction, and He can and will do that for anyone who seeks Him. When you told us that you would really like to help people think more deeply about Christ, we thought a natural place to start was with Christ's earthly ministry. So, it seemed like a good idea to get your episode started by playing one of our life lessons with a laugh on the miracles of Christ. So, let's listen to one of those as we begin today. And as we heard in our opening scripture, this life lesson deals with Jesus feeding thousands with just five small loaves of barley bread and two fish. R.D., man, when you said we were going on location to record the final life lesson on the miracles of Jesus, I have to admit, I was skeptical. But, hey, the aroma in this bakery is Heavenly. Well, of course it is, Jay Bakes. Have I ever led you astray? (laughs) As a matter of fact, allow me to remind you of the time when... Careful, Jay Bakes. Remember you did say the aroma here was heavenly, and heaven is watching. Uh, Okay, yeah, that's good. All good. And one reason this place smells so heavenly is that it is run by an angel. Multigrain English muffins up. Now, where is she? Hmm. Uh, be right 
You don't think R.D. believes the owner is a literal angel, do you? I mean, sometimes he... uh... No, Jay Bakes. R.D. is speaking metaphorically. But, as you will see, he is very much correct. And why do I keep hearing people yell out bread names? As the various kinds of bread are finished, the baker calls them out. But these are somewhat early. Hmm. Ah, there she is. Mrs. Constantinopolites, come meet J... Hold it. R.D., you can say, um, Constanti... this nice lady's full name, but you struggle with my two syllables? You have a hard time saying... No need to introduce yourself. R.D. has told me all about the man with many names. Many names? No, no. I just have one. And it's yes. J... Yes, many names, Jay. So finicky. So finicky. My name is hard to pronounce, too. So everybody just calls me Mama K. But my name's not hard to so pronounce. R.D. Today, another needs to know about bread. Yes, Mama K. We're doing our final life lesson on miracles, and it is about the loaves and fishes. The miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two small fish is the only miracle Jesus performed that is recorded in all four Gospels. And of course, the number 5,000 refers only to men. It does not include women and children. So Jesus actually fed many more. Exactamundo! The miracle is very well known, but there's a lot about it that people miss. That's why we bring people here to Mama K's. No one knows bread better than her. Given what I see going on around here and what I'm smelling, I can believe that. But R.D., you're not suggesting Mama K is going to perform a miracle, are you? If you taste Mama K's honey currant brioche, you might not be so sure. Be right, you can't taste bread. I have a finely tuned electronic palate, J-Bakes. Oh, cool. So, Mama K, is it almost time? Almost, almost. Time for one scripture. Okay. We'll do John chapter 6, verses 8 through 11. Be right. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. So that's what happened, Jay Bake. But what was the miracle all about? The people were hungry, and there was no place for them to get food. So Jesus multiplied what was available to feed them, right? Mama Kay, what do you say? He sees the trees, but not the forest. He sees the drops, but not the lake. He sees the leaf, but not the wheat. But he will soon. Ah, here we go. The bread is ready to come out. Listen! Ciabatta! Focaccius! Ciabatta is right! Wow! Pita! Sotas! Yucca are fine! Mato! Brioche! Mata and wheat! 
Good bread, good God, give thanks. Let's eat! Wow! Do they ever do that again? Oh, yeah! Right now! All right! Jabatas! Focaches! Jabatas! Pedas! Sotas! You are fine! Mato! Brioche! Bagas and wheat! Good bread! Good God! Give thanks! Let's eat! Man, that was too cool! You see, Jerry? The miracle of the loaves and fishes shows everyone that the focus of Jesus' life and ministry was always to meet the needs of his people. If they were sick, he healed. When they needed wisdom, he taught. When they were hungry, he fed. And when they needed salvation, he died to provide it. In a word, Jesus loved just as Mama Kay does to everyone who comes here. Bread is love when you do it for Jesus. And as the story tells us, Jesus loved his people so much that the disciples picked up 12 extra baskets of it. Well, I thought I already understood the story pretty well, but not like I do now. The miracle of the loaves and fishes, like all Jesus' miracles, was about Jesus' love. Now, Jay of many names gets it. Well, I still only have one name, and it's Oh, Je once you taste my currant and honey brioche, you won't really care. Here. Um, 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 wow. Wow. That is amazing. R.D., it doesn't happen often. But you were kind of right when you said this place was run by an angel. Of course I was. After all, it takes one to know one. No, no, <laughs> I don't think Ego so. Ego check oh, in the no, bakery no, aisle, please. No, emphatically no. Especially after you've been to Mama Libby's for her bean burrito. I've told her no more for you. But Mama Kay... No more. Yep, Mama Kay's an angel. Talk about bringing a message someone needed to hear. I told you. But I'm not sure if Mama Kay knows my real name. Jerry, the only J name we must all know is Jesus. She is an angel, indeed. Well, that's it from Jeremy. Oh, and it's still... Just enjoy your bread, still Jerry. Fair enough. Me, R.D., and the whole Crystal Sea Bakery crew for today. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where we're not perfect, but our boss is. Well, Jay, obviously our founder, R.D. Fierro, put some time into thinking about the wide variety of bread that is available in various cultures around the world. The fact that all cultures use some form of bread is a graphic display of humanity's common need for nourishment. But we have another need, don't we? We need spiritual nourishment in addition to physical nourishment. And Jesus feeding the thousands shows that he is able to provide both, doesn't it? It's the miracle where Jesus breaks the bread and feeds 5,000. And actually, we find the number is actually great, greater than 5,000 because that's only the men. It didn't include women and children. But before we get into the actual scene, I want to get into the feelings. I don't want to just hit the surface level. I don't want to just talk about the miracle, which is great. Jesus miraculously turns a few loaves of bread and a few fish to feed all those people. And that's an amazing thing. But I kind of want to get into their minds today. 
So we're going to have to back up. And if you want to have the mindset, I think there's three kind of statements that Jesus overall is making in this section, which is, listen, I'm, I'm not the Messiah you want. I'm not the Messiah you expect, but I am the God that you need. I like that. That's such a great thought. To people of the first century in Israel, Jesus was not the Messiah they were expecting, but he was the Savior that they and we need. So, what kind of Messiah were they expecting? Second Temple Judaism, they had different messianic expectations than we do. We know who the Messiah is, we know it's one person, but at the time, they thought there may be two Messiahs, a lesser and a greater one, with two prophets, or one Messiah and two prophets. This comes from the fact that Jesus has a role of a prophet, priest, and king, and so when looking at the scriptures, they thought that there were different people. See, the Messiah was supposed to come from the line of David. But to be able to be a priest, you need to be a Levite. And so you couldn't be a a priest and a king. But of course, we find out that Jesus was a priest in the line of Melchizedek, who was not a Levite. And so he was a different kind of priest, a different kind of king for that matter. But no matter how many messiahs or how many prophets, there's one thing that all of them had in common, all the Jewish hopes and beliefs for the Messiah had in common, and that it would be he would be a political ruler, a warlord kind of ruler that would lead Israel to back on top, that would destroy the enemies of God's people, who enemy number one in this time was the Romans. So the Jews expected the Messiah to come and crush the wicked Romans to destroy them, and to be the leader of the world in that way. These are the expectations that the disciples of Jesus have of the Messiah. They expect him to destroy the Romans. This is one of the main reasons why Jews rejected Jesus. He didn't do that the way they wanted it. All the disciples, all of them, they're expecting Jesus to come and crush the Romans. Of all the things they want him to do, they want a God that's going to lead them to political victory, to power. This is what they want. They're expecting this warlord king. So the Jews in the first century were expecting a political and military Messiah. They thought the Messiah would come and deliver them from Roman subjugation. Even Jesus' disciples at the time had that expectation. I guess that's why they had to spend over three years with Jesus. For most of us, it's hard to change our lives and thoughts, especially those we've had for our whole lives. But that was part of Jesus' earthly ministry, wasn't it? Jesus not only had to minister the people, but also train his disciples. And that took some time. And it's easy for us to forget that. When we read the Gospels, we do so from the standpoint of history. But for the disciples, their growth unfolded over time. So, we need to get a proper perspective on that. And part of that perspective for this miracle is remembering what had just happened to Jesus and his disciples. Right before this miracle occurs, Jesus finds out that John the Baptist was killed. Jesus' disciples find out that John the Baptist was killed. And he was killed by Rome. Now, people say, hang on a minute. I thought that Herod was the king of the Jews. And I will say that Herod, who had John killed, was a king in his mind only. He was a Jew in his mind only, in a lot of ways. He was raised in Rome. He was educated in Rome. He was assigned his position as a tetrarch, which is a ruler of minor provinces of Rome by Caesar Augustus. He is not in the genetic line of kings. He is not a ruler by his own right. And what he got to rule over, Herod didn't get like Jerusalem or the important parts of Israel. He got Galilee, 
you know, where Jesus is from, you know, no good things can come from Nazareth to that kind of region. And Perea, which is right next to the enemies of Rome. It's like the worst two provinces you could give somebody. So he's sent out there to rule. He's just doing his thing. He ain't no king. So he has John killed. Disciples come back. They're distraught. John was a friend. He was a fellow minister. How could the Messiah, the Messiah who's supposed to crush Rome, allow John to get killed? It shook them at their foundation. I would be willing to bet they're questioning whether they should even follow Jesus anymore. Like, he's not the Messiah. He can't be. How could he let Rome defeat us like this? And so this baggage is brought. And at the same time as all this news is being brought and the disciples and Jesus are being heartbroken and stressed and feeling the pressure, there's also all this crowd pressing in around him. So much that if we read in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, that's Jesus, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Matthew 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. See, Jesus, his followers were doubtful, disappointed, desperate even, but Jesus responded with compassion by providing keys to the kingdom. We've all been under pressure, had bad things happen. And I guarantee you that if I'm having all these troubles, my subordinates, maybe in my business or my family, they're rebelling against me. They're like, are you sure you're going to be our leader? There's all this head knocking going on and I'm trying to get away. I got to manage my business. I got to take care of my people. I got to bring it in close. I need to spend time as a leader and encourage these guys. You try and run, you go all the way across the lake to go up mountain and the crowd's waiting on you there. Man, I'm going to yell at the crowd. I'm like, yo, y'all need to leave me alone. Now's not the time. Daggum, get a clue. I literally got across the dang lake. I mean, get a clue, right? But Jesus, God, who has all authority, all power, all rights, if anybody had a right to yell at anybody ever, it's God. But instead, he's like, you know, I'm going to have compassion on them. He sees the people desperate, and he takes his own pain, his own sorrow, his own stress. He gives it to the Father. He says, And he preaches the word, and he begins to heal. They're sick even. He goes to work. He goes to work. I love that. Jesus went to work. But he didn't go to work for his own needs. He did what he always did. He went to work for others. He went to work meeting the needs of those who had been drawn to him and who had made the effort to go out and seek him. That's a powerful lesson for us as well. If we want Jesus to go to work on our behalf, We must be willing to seek Him, and that takes effort. Jesus was in a remote spot. Sometimes following Jesus meant we will be in remote spots. And even if we have others around us, we may be in remote spots. I think that's a really powerful lesson for Christians today because increasingly our society and culture is pushing us into remote spots. So, where do we go from here? Matthew 14, 15 says, As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, You do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Basically, it says, Of yourself you give. I love the way the Greek says that. Of yourself you give. Because Jesus is about to give of himself when he breaks the bread and uses his God powers to feed all these people. He's going to give of himself. 
And he's going to give of himself over and over and over again. And he's still giving of himself to those who ask. I think Philip's still upset about the loss of John and the, the expectations not being met. He's like, Yo, where do we buy all the bread? Where are we supposed to get this food? And they're not near town. And then Philip goes further and says to Jesus, and I can totally hear it dripping with sarcasm and a little bit of bitterness, like, man, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It's like basically telling Jesus, look, I don't think we can do this. It's going to take way too much money. It's not worth it. Can't be done. He forgets who he's dealing with, I think, in this moment. Another one of the disciples, Andrew and Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and says, here's some fish and loaves. And we'll pick that back up in Matthew. Verse 17 says, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. So basically they had nothing. 5,000 people, 5,000 men, plus any women and children. Lots of people. Basically, I'm a bigger guy. I could 100% eat five loaves of bread and one fish or two fish. And I'd still be like, hey, man, you're going to eat that fish over there? You know, I mean, that's my family. I'm picking off their plate all the time. And so it's not really enough for me to be satisfied. I wouldn't be hungry, but I wouldn't be satisfied. It's not enough. But they bring what's not enough to Jesus. And this friend of mine, his catchphrase is that little is much in the master's hand. And so they brought what little they had and gave it to Jesus. Verse 17 said that we have only here five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to disciples, and disciples gave them to all the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Little is much in the master's hand. There's another great observation. That one should go on a t-shirt. The moment you say it, something very important happens. We turn our attention from ourselves to Jesus. And all too often, when we find ourselves confronting an impossible situation, that's what we need to remember. Throughout our lives, we are going to face difficulty. As many Christian commentators have observed, God uses difficulties to shape our characters so that we more closely resemble Christ. Here, Jesus is using this difficulty, this impossibility, of feeding thousands of people with five loaves and two fish to shape his disciples' faith. This miracle is so important that it is recorded in all four Gospels. So how did Jesus use the little that was placed in his hands to teach the disciples and us a lesson? I want to look back at this idea of 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. See, this is where I think Jesus is talking about the coming kingdom, being the God we need. He's doing this example right now. God called the nation of Israel way back in the beginning to be a nation of his they had 12 tribes, and it was going to be 12 full tribes of people that were his people. But they turned away. They rejected God time and time again. They broke the covenant. But Jesus was still going to have his 12 full baskets. The reason I bring that to you is that we're going to look at what happens the next day after he feeds these people. As soon as the people eat, he sends his disciples out to go across the lake. He goes up to pray with his father. There's a crazy storm that happens. Jesus walks across the water. Then he arrives back in his hometown, most likely Capernaum. The crowd wakes up, sees Jesus not there. They all go back to get some more bread. And John 6, 25 says this, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, 
but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. See, Jesus is saying here, you got your worldly needs met yesterday, but that's not why you should seek after me. I have something much better for you. And he continues on to try and explain to the crowds who he is. And he kind of drops the mic in verse 35 of John chapter 6. Jesus declares, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He continues on with some of the greatest news there is. Verse 40 says, For the Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. Jesus says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And then he says something that's really hard for the disciples to believe. And he actually loses a lot of his followers on this statement. He says, I'm the bread of life. Verse 51 of John 6 says, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jesus is providing some amazing information in those verses. He is the bread of life. As our founder R.D. Fierro is fond of saying, that's a short way of telling us that Jesus provides for us. Jesus being the bread of life assures us of the provision of our needs, just as when Jesus tells us that he is the light of the world. Jesus is telling us that he will provide the illumination that we need throughout our lives. The Gospel of John contains the seven so-called I Am statements of Jesus, and each one is a powerful declaration of how Jesus takes care of us both during this life and in the life to come. As you said earlier, Jesus is showing the disciples and the crowd that he is the Messiah that they need. He might not be the God you expect. You might expect him to do all sorts of things he doesn't do. What he is, is he's the God that you need. And all who come to him shall be saved. You have made some really important and amazing observations today. Jesus was not the Messiah that the disciples and the crowd were hoping for. They wanted a political deliverer. Jesus provided for some physical needs, like feeding the 5,000, to demonstrate that he was capable of also providing a way for us to be reconciled to God, not just in this life, but eternally. We'd really like to thank Jay Ammerman for being our guest on Anchored by Truth today. Jay's life after his conversion is a great illustration of how Jesus continues to redeem destinies in our day and time. The Bible has been instrumental in changing Jay's destiny, and it can be instrumental in changing your destiny and the destinies of your friends. Today, for our closing prayer, let's listen to a prayer of corporate confession. We should all spend some time every day in prayer seeking forgiveness for our sins and those of our neighbors and community. Prayer of Corporate Confession Father, perfect in justice, holy in all ways. We stand before you to declare that we know you are a great, powerful, and just God. Before time began marking the rise, decline, and coming renewal of creation, you established the laws to govern all seasons and creatures. Your laws are perfect because you are perfect. Lord, 
We acknowledge today that we have sinned and fallen short of your expectations. We know that we have done this of our own volition, that our transgressions are not caused by anything that you have done or failed to do. As you forgive us, help us to freely forgive those who offend us when they ask for pardon. Let us embrace our brothers and sisters with repentant hearts as readily as you embrace us. We can only do so by knowing the gracious love that you brought to us when Christ came and died for us. He tore apart the veil between your people and you, sent the Spirit to refresh our souls, and so it is in his precious name that we ask for mercy, pardon, and a readiness to serve you. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalseabooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S, Thank you for your support.